Welcome to Epilepsy Cast, the podcast about all things epilepsy from Epilepsy Action. Hello, Hattie. Uh, great to be here with you for episode number five of Epilepsy Cast. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Hiya. Yes, uh, episode five. Wow, we're speeding through them. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we've just come into some a bit of lockdown easing, lockdown changing. Have you visited any pubs this past weekend? I haven't visited pubs, but we have taken my toddler to a playground. Oh, which really? He was so excited about. Did he enjoy? Yeah. Yes, he loved it. Taking his, a toddler. What's his favourite ride? Oh, he loved the swings. Walking oh. past swings and he hasn't been able to go on them has been heartbroken. And he did at one point say, the swings look sad. Oh, no. No. I, I, I mean, I came to do a podcast with you not have my heart broken. Heartbroken. Yeah. I, I mean, I can feel it shatter right now. Oh. When they were closed. Yeah. So he was very happy to be back on the swings. But obviously you then uh, have your anti gel ready in the moment they get off. Because um, he oh, also yeah. he sucks his thumb, which is a nightmare oh, <laughs> at absolutely. the moment. Yeah, well, do you know what I can't wait for? I'm going to go right down to the end of my street after this podcast and go on the merry-go-round. <laughs> alone, of course. I don't know how I'm going to get a, a, some momentum to swing around, but we'll see. Um, yeah, I didn't go to any pubs either, but I had a friend that went into Leeds City Centre and apparently it was empty anyway. So wow. people are kind of being quite sensible and not going nuts, at least in Leeds City Centre. That and is good to hear. They said everything was nicely social distanced. Um, and yeah, it's just, it just, just nice to get out and about, I guess. Yeah, it is. Um, my dad went to have his hair cut and they had like big screens up and everyone was wearing visors and masks and stuff. So. Oh yeah, uh, I, I'm getting my hair cut in two weeks and I can't wait. I yeah. mean, you can't see me on the podcast, but you don't want to basically. It's like a big purple <laughs> mop. <laughs> <laughs> Hattie, you can attest. Big purple yeah. mop. It looks not too bad, actually. It, though. But it, uh, it, it looks like everyone. It's just, you know, everyone's just getting more and more hair as time yeah. goes by. <laughs> it's the look. But yes, yeah, I guess we're going to turn on to a bit more serious stu- uh, epilepsy news related stuff um, as lockdown eases. Um, us as Epilepsy Action and a couple of other leading epilepsy charities and health professionals have uh, joined forces um, to say to talk to health leaders um, and try to get them to act quickly to um, minimise additional risks. You know, for example, yeah, p- people not going to hospitals because they're worried um, about you know contracting coronavirus or you know just giving the NHS some space to do their magic and work. Um, we're we're kind of trying to get health leaders to um, minimize these risks and reverse the the kind of reports of falls in hospital attendance and particularly for us to prevent um, any you know premature epilepsy related mortality um, you know um, every week 21 epilepsy related deaths are recorded in the UK which um, nearly half of those um, could be avoidable um, so kind of us SUDEP Action and the Association of British Neurologists uh, calling for epilepsy services to resume as quickly and as safely as possible. Um, so this includes like prioritising returning epilepsy clinical staff back to epilepsy services. So and and, and at the very minimum, uh, people you know who have had the first seizure um, and you know they might suspect it's epilepsy, they must have access to a consultation with an epilepsy expert. We think that's really important. And um, more generally, people should be able to contact neurology services and receive, you know, a meaningful response. And we know the NHS obviously has been quite 
you know, swamped and un understandably so. But as lockdown eases and more services resume, we think this is really important to try to get you know get this underway. Definitely, like those. I know those epilepsy-related death kind of rates. It's not an easy thing to think about. It can be a scary thing to think about. But we know that with the right advice and support, those risks can be brought down to um, a reasonable level. And like, as we said, nearly half of those deaths are thought to be avoidable. Um, and we also know that, you know, a lot of epilepsy specialist nurses or epilepsy doctors might have been pulled away from where they're normally working in the with the COVID-19 um, stuff going on in hospitals and, and that was obviously the right thing to do at the time but as we move back um, to kind of the new normal we think that it's just so important and, and not only yeah. epilepsy action we said like the ABN the Association of British Neurologists SUDEP action and lots and lots of other different organizations um, as kind of coming together to to speak to those health experts to speak to those people who are making those decisions to say really like epilepsy services need to be a priority people need to be able to see their doctors and have contact with their doctors and nurses um, and one of the things that would be really great is that um, we'd love to hear your experiences of that really have you been able to see your nurse as normal I know that people have had email contact instead of like appointments or like zoom um, how's that been for you what have you um, found like that you've had enough contact or not um is the stuff that you get questions that you haven't been able to get answered um it would be really great to hear how you found that on the ground so so what really we just want um we know that it's really important that people with epilepsy are prioritized because of the risks that epilepsy kind of brings to people's lives and that we know that it's really important um and we just want to make sure that you guys are remembered first and that your needs are um one of the first needs to be considered as things return um and you know, that you're not overlooked so we are out there we're fighting your corner we're trying to make sure that you're not overlooked as much as we possibly can um i hope that that is a bit reassuring because i know that there still must be people feeling really anxious and unsure about things at the moment yeah, absolutely. And I know our chief exec is, is really behind this campaign as well. Is is also it says that, you know, um this kind of current situation cannot be the new normal and I think we all agree with that. And um yeah, absolutely send in any experiences that you've had uh, and let us know. So that's uh, our email is podcast at epilepsy.org.uk. And I don't know whether you'll have spotted as you were watching the news um last week that um, epilepsy was in the headlines quite a lot. Um, we were on the news at 10 and news night all over the news and that's because there was a report published last week, um, the Independent Medicines and Medical Devices Safety Review or the Cumbledge Review um, published their report and their report was called First Do No Harm. And um, it looked into three different medicines and one of them was an epilepsy medicine, sodium valproate. And um, to chat to us about it, we've actually um, really luckily got um, the expert within Epilepsy Action, Daniel. Um, he works directly on this and has been campaigning on behalf of people with epilepsy on this for years and years now. Um, so we're really pleased to have Daniel here. Uh, thanks, Hattie. Yes. Um, so this is um, it's a long-standing issue for Epilepsy Action. Um, sodium valproate, also known as the brand uh, under its brand name Epilim. Uh, was first licensed in 1973, uh, at which point um, the risks of taking the, the medication 
um, during pregnancy were already known, but um, weren't initially communicated to women at the time. Um, so Epilepsy Action has been campaigning for a long time for, for this information to be made, um, made uh, or to be communicated better to, to women taking this medication. So um, Valbrate has, uh, it brings a risk of birth defects and developmental orders uh, in babies born to mothers taking this medication during pregnancy. Um, and yet, despite um, such long work on this issue, it's only recently that um, proper regulations have been introduced to try and limit the prescribing of Valparate. But the, the problem has always been that for, for a lot of people with epilepsy, it is the only medication that will control their seizures. Right, okay. It, it's, it's complicated trying to balance that, the seizure control, but then also the risks um, during pregnancy. Um, and that's why some of this, this stuff has come about, because according to the report, a lot of doctors um, were, were taking the view that, that seizure control was more important than um, the, the risks posed to, to the unborn child. Right, okay. But then they weren't telling women of those risks? Has that been the No, problem? they weren't telling. So that's where, um, yeah, the, the doctors were making that decision, but not, not telling women, so not giving women the, the information to make that choice themselves and just imposing that, that decision on them. Mm. Um, so recently, um, the MRHA and others have introduced uh, measures to try and um, put pr measures in place to make sure that women are made aware of the risks. So we had the, uh, the pregnancy prevention plan. So women of childbearing age, um, if they're on Valparate, are supposed to be um, told either come off Valparate or go on to um, highly effective contraception. Um, right, and okay. by highly highly effective contraception they mean um more invasive um contraception than than perhaps a lot of people would be, be willing to, to undergo especially um people in certain circumstances if, if there's an unlikelihood you're going to get pregnant for whatever reason sexual orientation or you have objections to contraception because of, of religious beliefs or, or or things like that which the pregnancy prevention plan didn't take into into account Right. Um, and as well as that, doctors are supposed to, and unfortunately we, we find this isn't happening in a lot of cases, uh, are supposed to ask women to sign an annual risk acknowledgement form. So this form says that the doctor has discussed all the risks of, of getting pregnant with, with the women on Valparate and that they're aware that they either need to be on highly effective contraception or need to change uh, their anti-epilepsy medication. Right, okay. Um, and again, in addition to, to the pregnancy prevention plan and the annual risk acknowledgement form, um, pharmacists and others are supposed to be uh, handing out um, information, leaflets, booklets about the, the risks of Valparate. Uh, and these are supposed to be handed out with every, every prescription of the drug. But again, um, we found in a lot of cases this, this simply wasn't happening. Uh, last year, we started, along with Epilepsy Society and Young Epilepsy, a survey of women and girls taking sodium valparate, which found out that 10% um, of women who responded to the survey and were taking valparate were still unaware of the possible risk of birth defects. Gosh. And 18% on top of that were uh, unaware that the medicine could also cause learning and developmental delays in children. Um, so despite all the measures that were introduced, we, we found there was still a significant number of people who, who weren't aware. And when was that survey, sorry, Daniel, last year? 
Uh, well, it st we started it in 2019, and then it finished in January this year. So, Gosh, uh, we so were even hoping... even very very recently, there's women who are taking valproate who are unaware of those risks. Yeah, so those absolutely. conversations and still aren't happening. Yeah, yeah, I and mean, again, our survey found out that that yeah, people weren't having these conversations with neurologists or GPs or epilepsy specialist nurses in a lot of cases. Um, and really concerningly, we found that there was a, a, a small but significant group of, of women um, who had not received any of the, the materials about the risks of Valproate at all, um, which is massively concerning when you consider mm. this. these have been around for, well, since 2014 now, a lot of these um, um, patient information leaflets and, and things, and to have not seen any of those in that time when you've um, been receiving this this medication is, is really shocking. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this was a follow-up to a survey we also carried out with the same charities in 2017. And unfortunately, we found out that there hadn't been an awful lot of improvement in the, in the levels of awareness in that time. So it's still clear that despite everything that's been done, there's a lot more needed as well to, to kind of finish um, finish the job of communicating the risks with mm. with women because there's still there's still a group who aren't just aren't receiving that. I was just going to say, and one of the things I found um, so powerful last week when when the Cumbridge Review's findings that you know were were published and they said that yes, this has been happening and yes, the healthcare services have failed to tell women the risks of um, this medication. Um, it were the families, the families who you know had had been women who had been taking Valproate while they had been pregnant and now have children who do unfortunately have um, neurodevelopmental delays or um, other disabilities. Um, I just found their their testimonies just so moving and so powerful. Um, and I guess we would always say that, we would say that anything that could happen to prevent that would be really important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, some of those stories were really harrowing. And I think that was reflected in, in Baroness Cumberledge's report. She herself said throughout the report that she had been affected by those stories and, and the, the avoidable harm that had been done to so many families. Um, I think at the latest estimate, it's uh, 20,000 babies born to um, mothers taking Valparate, um, which is a, a, a huge number. And even even in 2019, there were still 190 pregnancies exposed to Valparate, which, again, considering everything that's been done up until this point, is, is still a, a really shocking number. Um, and thankfully, um, the report's come out with some, some really strong recommendations. As I said, Baroness Cumbridge was really... Um, she, she reiterated a lot the, the avoidable harm and, and how devastating this has been to a lot of families um so the, the first first um area they addressed was an apology which we had of sorts twice last week so matt hancock as soon as the report had been published came out and issued a brief statement to the press uh, and this was followed up by nadine dorries the minister for patient safety who um made a statement to the house of commons on thursday last week thursday the 9th of july um, and she, as well as a, a full uh, apology, she did say that the government would, would go away and look at the rest of the recommendations and come back with a, a full response as soon as possible. Um, but despite a few other MPs trying to tie her down on when that might be, we're still not quite sure 
uh, when when the government expects to be able to come back. Um, right, okay. We, we expect it's probably going to be September now, Parliament's in recess for summer. Yeah. Um, so it's important now that some of these other recommendations get addressed as well, because the, the apology is all well and good, but we need the actual positive change now to address both the failures that have already happened and put stuff in place to make sure these families are supported and um, issues like this aren't repeated again. And so one of the um, main recommendations to address this is a, a patient safety commissioner. So the report has recommended uh, the creation of a patient, patient safety commissioner who would be uh, a patient's first port of call and uh, an advocate who would hold the system to account when patients come to them with complaints because one of the issues with sodium valproate and the other issues that um, Baroness Cumbridge looked into was when patients raised concerns they weren't taken seriously and uh, as well as that they've also um, the recommended uh, separate schemes to be set up for each individual uh, uh, issue they looked at primidos, uh, pelvic mesh and valproate to meet the cost of providing additional care and support to those who've been um, harmed by the medication. So this would be um, children uh, affected by valparate uh, with fetal valparate syndrome, who would now hopefully, once um, this recommendation is implemented, be able to um, claim for care and uh, additional resources for care and support, which would be vitally important because we know a lot of these children are living with, with lifelong conditions that, that aren't going get, to get any better. Yeah, mm. that was the thing that from the stories last week, you know, that um, these children are left with lifelong disabilities, with difficulties, they're going to need ni- lifelong care, they're going to need lifelong support, and the burden for that has fallen on onto the families. Like, um, So that recommendation should hopefully, if it comes apart, should make a real difference. It should do, yeah. And as you say, it's it's the families that have been bearing the, the brunt of this support and also at the same time trying to campaign for, for something to address this. But a lot of these families have, have had a really long, long, hard journey to get here. Um, and I'm sure it was a, a massive relief when the, the report um, came out so strongly in their favour. Absolutely. Those conversations need to be happening, don't they, between doctors and women. Um, it's shocking that, as you said, there are women today who are taking this medication who still don't know that if they got pregnant it could harm their baby or the fetus and that that um and that they could be left with a child who has lifelong disabilities um those conversations are the crux of that that they need to be happening um every for every single woman um yeah that that so yeah you're right we need to see more details about what they're going to do to make sure that happens and just a, a final one on the recommendations of the report that they've um to kind of tie everything together they've recommended a task force be set up to to oversee the report's recommendations and how it's implemented um so whilst the government hasn't uh, addressed beyond the apology any of these recommendations yet we're hoping that all of the recommendations will be implemented in full. Uh, so that's what we will be working working for. Um, so over the summer, we will be um, we'll be looking in more detail at the report because I mean it's a detailed report. There's a lot in there. Um, and starting those conversations with with MPs and the Department of Health about how we can now go about making sure that these recommendations become a reality because it. It would be too easy for for this now to just fall by the wayside 
I mean, we, we've waited a long time for this now, but it's important to remember this is only the first step and that we now need to put these get these recommendations put into practice um, and hopefully ensure that um, all the women and families that have been affected by this get the support they need and also that measures are in place to make sure that an, an, an incident like this doesn't happen again. You're right, and you, you're right um, when you say that this is just the, almost just the start, which is um, it's been a long time to get here and so much work to get here. As Rich said, um, we've been Epilepsy Action has been working on this since the 1980s. So it's taken, what, 30 years to get here. And now the work has only kind of just begun to, to make sure that these recommendations are continued and that patient voices are heard and considered and valued. With, with every epilepsy medication, not just sodium valproate. Well, yeah, that's important as well. Actually, that, that reminds me of another recommendation in the report. They recommended the setting up of a register of all women on uh, any anti-epileptic drug, so not just limited to valproate. Um, and again, this is something Epilepsy Action has long called for, a register of, of women on anti-epileptic drugs. And that would enable them to start looking at, at the possible risks of other AEDs, because we know there are there are some AEDs as well that do pose not not as high a risk as as valproate, but they they there is a risk there as well. So um, thankfully, this report has, has acknowledged that, and um, the registry is one of the most important actually yeah. uh, recommendations of this report. And if that's something that you're worried about listening to this, then um, absolutely chat to your doctor about it, chat to your epilepsy specialist nurse about it, or you can always ring our helpline. Rich, you know the number. I do. It's 0808-800-5050. So we know that that can uh, not be the easiest thing to think about. It can be worrying to think about. Um, epilepsy medication is one of the most confusing, can be one of the most confusing parts of having epilepsy to kind of manage that and balance that, try and find the one that works for you, um, try and balance all the side effects. So please do call our helpline. Please do speak to your doctor. Um, don't try and manage it on your own. Don't sit there worried on your own. Um, and um we at Epilepsy Action, like Daniel said, we are fighting to make sure that those recommendations from that really important report last week are brought into action. Um, and thank you so much, Daniel, for coming to chat to us about that. It's been really interesting to hear kind of the nitty gritty about um, what it all contains and what it's all about. No problem. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Daniel. So two pretty heavy topics to us about in the news section today but um two that are really important and i think they're both important milestones um i hope that um particularly that review and um, that cumberland review will be like a line in the sand that we've got things out in the open we're talking about it and switching gears a little bit uh, we're now going to head into the great outdoors i don't know about you rich but it's actually tipping it down with rain where i am at the minute uh yep same yep great <sighs> july switching. weather at its finest sometimes you know it's a blessing being in your spare room <laughs> yeah um but we're going to swap we're going to head out into the great outdoors um even if it's just in our imaginations yes and chat to francesca chirauskis um really excited to chat to fran because she has her own epilepsy podcast and it's a podcast that looks at epilepsy through a really uh, interesting and i'd say kind of unique lens and angle um but i'll let her tell you more about that now Uh, we're here with Fran Chirauskis. Hi Fran, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, we're okay. We were just talking about um, kind of the uh, 
strangeness that we're all still working remotely and how that kind of is is working it's becoming very much a normal but it's weird that it's becoming normal yeah yeah 100 <laughs> and a bit of disney plus talk as well we're all we're all we're all subscribing getting our oh, yeah. getting our disney plus action in yeah um, that's it nice not, little nice little that. plug for disney plus there yes yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah they know they know they've got the uh got the audience there now <laughs> yeah for sure absolutely um yeah captive market yeah especially now the weather isn't as good we're all back inside looking for something to do yes yeah indeed it's uh, a little bit difficult getting out when it's not so nice out there i managed it i do try and do it even if it is a bit rainy and things but yeah yeah definitely awful lot of staying inside indeed and fran you are the host of the fantastic seizure adventure podcast I am. Yes. So we're yeah. really excited to chat to you um, about your epilepsy story um, because I know you spend a lot of time chatting to other people about theirs so it's really nice that you can chat to us a little bit about your experiences and also about um, what you get up to on that podcast um, and we'd really recommend that people go and listen if you are looking um, for a different perspective on all things epilepsy. Um, we can chat a little bit more about what makes it unique in a minute. So I I know from what I've read that you have epilepsy um, and I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about your journey to get diagnosed with epilepsy. I know it wasn't necessarily the most smooth process. No, so it's something that I um, since have heard from quite a few different people that that process from your first seizure to your your diagnosis isn't always the smoothest. Um, certainly for me, it, it probably could have been smoother because my seizures were pretty clear-cut seizures. They're that stereotypical tonic-clonic, losing consciousness, convulsing, and that kind of thing. So it was pretty obvious what they were, that they were seizures. Um, but having said that, the first seizure that I had was in 2011. So I was in the last year of university at the time and my housemates saw it, but nobody else saw it. And I went to the hospital after the seizure happened. I didn't remember anything about it at all. I have a good like half an hour of lost time from that first seizure. Mm. Um, just remember like essentially coming to on the sofa in the middle of a conversation and right. the paramedics there speaking to me and it took me quite a while to realize that the paramedics were there for me so <laughs> this um this is a, a little bit of a shock for me got whisked off to the Wait, hospital <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> for me me i'm the one who needs you oh you're taking me into the ambulance okay yeah <laughs> right fine you know you know better than me shock. yeah <laughs> so um i went off and I um, had a few tests when I was at the hospital and then they sent me home saying it was probably a seizure. Don't worry, it's probably a one-off. It does happen quite a lot. Um, and the, uh, they went up to the neurologist afterwards like a couple of weeks later and they basically said the same thing that it might not even have been a seizure. I had a history of uh, faints, so syncope faints just due to like low blood sugar and that kind of thing and the neurologist said that it might even have been that um, because they didn't have anything to kind of prove that it was epilepsy they didn't catch it on any EEGs or anything like that Um, I had the uh, the CAT scans and all of that kind of thing so lovely lovely load of tests going on and nothing really came up they just they just kind of did a bit of a 
shoulder shrug, sent me on my way, told me not to worry about it. Um, and I didn't really until a year later I had another one and this was a, a pretty bad one in my sleep. Um, woke my boyfriend up, he said it was the best alarm clock he's ever had. Mm. And, <laughs> yeah. and the most panicked one probably as well. Yes, yeah. that's it. The most that's adrenaline it. inducing wake no, up call. No clicking snooze on this one. That's you sure. are absolutely awake after that one for sure. Um, and again, just kind of like woke up with a paramedic leaning over me and asking me questions, having no idea what was going on. Um, whisked me away in the ambulance again and this time they, they confirmed that it was definitely a seizure because they said to me that you can't have a faint in your sleep it's going to be a seizure if something like that is happening in the sleep right. um, but because it was about 18 months apart from the first one I still didn't get an epilepsy diagnosis at that time okay. um, and they sent me away and told me not to worry about it um, and then over the next kind of like year, two years, I started having what were probably partial seizures. Um, okay. But I just didn't know what they were at the time. I didn't have an epilepsy diagnosis, so I didn't know to look out for them. But I was getting uh, essentially like hallucinations, so auditory wow. hallucinations. And it kind of felt like there were lots of people trying to speak to me at once and that kind of thing. Um, Gosh, that must have been so scary. It, yeah, it was one of those ones where um, I always say um, I did the, the typical thing. If you start hearing voices, I just ignored them. And right. <laughs> just, yeah. just like I'd had no idea what it was It because it, it wasn't a, a long term thing. It was that kind of like short aura length and seizure length. Yeah. It, it would pass. And so I mm. could ignore it for the most part. Yeah. Um, until there was one time when I had one of these and then it became a tonic-clonic seizure afterwards. Right. Um, and I was at work and it was very confusing because I was on my lunch break by myself so nobody saw it again. Mm. Um, and then I just kind of like found myself in a different place in the building, was feeling horribly sick and stuff so I just took myself off home and I got home, my boyfriend was actually at home at the time, luckily, and I said to him, I think I've just had a seizure, that's what it feels like. Mm. Um, um, went to sleep and was just absolutely so tired. Um, yeah, and then I had a, a couple of other seizures that evening, essentially. Okay. Um, and because my boyfriend knew what it was at that time and it wasn't like, uh, didn't get into stasis or anything like that the seizures were quite a bit apart we just phoned the doctor the next day essentially I didn't go to the hospital at the time phoned the doctor the next day got to a neurologist and finally got that that epilepsy diagnosis right. um, so because it was so sporadic and because I didn't know to look out for these these auras and these partial seizures um, I just never it would never click with me yeah. that I had epilepsy until right. the point where they said you have epilepsy yeah um, mm. and, and how it long was, how long a gap a gap was that that, was that four was years? four years yeah. yeah so my first one was in 2011 in June um, I think it was on my dad's birthday as well I, I remember phoning him from the hospital <laughs> right. And we're just like, happy, happy birthday, birthday, Dad. Um, I'm, I'm in hospital. Amy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't panic. But yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it was my dad's birthday. Um, and oh, at then, least you never forget it. 
Oh, indeed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, or I had a good excuse to forget it. Um, <laughs> but um, and then I finally got diagnosed in April 2015. So okay. nearly four years between yeah. the first one and, and the actual diagnosis. Right. And um, it was actually quite quite nice to get the diagnosis by that point because it was very much especially having heard these voices and that kind of thing and not quite knowing what was happening to be able to get something that they could say this is this is something that's physically happening and this is something that we can do to help um, Mm. and we can put you on medication to try and help was a real relief essentially um yeah and I got really lucky because they put me on medication and kind of like I, I started on a really low dose and went upwards. So they, they kind of like did that quite nicely. And I've been uh, really lucky with it. It hasn't had very many side effects. I haven't had any noticeable tonic-clonic seizures since and haven't wow. had any, okay. any kind of like noticeable auras. Um, so, great. yeah, I've just, just reached my five-year seizure-free anniversary wow so you hit that medication jackpot straight away yes yeah yeah, definitely and again pure naivety when I was going into it I just assumed that the medication would work when they gave it to me um having said that that, we know that's not yes we know that's not the case now (laughs) um having said that they they did offer me a different medication the first time round I can't remember which one it was I think it might have been something like the uh, the Kepra or or something like that that's quite right. quite commonly su- yeah. subscribed, um, but they read out the uh, side effects to me on that one, and I just went, no, that doesn't. Yeah, sound like it does have a lot of me. can have a lot um, of negative side effects. I was gonna I was gonna ask that as well. Actually, you know, we we were gonna ask you know how how has epilepsy kind of affected your life? But um, I mm. guess with you know being seizure free, um, not massively potentially, but. Um, uh, yeah. How, how, has it kind of uh, meant you can't do some certain things, or? Yeah, um, so it's kind of a, a ripple effect with my yeah. epilepsy diagnosis in terms of I, for the most part, can get along with my life quite quite well. I absolutely right. do not have um, like seizures that are affecting me every day and that kind of yeah. thing. But there. Mm. Um, I never learned to drive because I was having seizures oh, right. okay, around yeah. about every time yeah. that I could have dri- like learned to drive. Yeah, I kept having yeah. a seizure for those four years, so I never learned. Um, and now I just I, I don't I don't think I'd be, feel comfortable doing it and that kind of thing. Right. Um, I think if I'd have learned to drive before my diagnosis, I'd be fine getting back to it. But now it just feels like something I get a little bit. I was a bit of an anxious driver when I started learning at 18 anyway so yeah to add add the epilepsy diagnosis and it just doesn't feel like something I would be amazingly confident at Um, so because I never learned to drive I have to take public transport I have to um, you know get from place to place on on my own legs and feet and that kind yeah. of stuff so yeah really, these are, these really are some does. of the things you don't you don't immediately or someone um perhaps who doesn't have any experience of epilepsy might might not think about yeah it's like mm, mm, you know so you, like you, you kind of you can have that kind of anxiety about learning to drive and because of that yeah. you have to pay more for public transport all that kind of thing you have to rely on it so it's a bit you know obviously epilepsy affects people's lives in so many different ways and i guess that's the way it affects yours yeah yeah it's um 
it's just that like the 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 little things that you have yeah, to yeah. organize a little bit more yeah. um because of that not driving yeah. Um, yeah and and like like i say I'm, i get a little bit anxious about the idea of learning to drive um and there are other things that i do get anxious about i'm a very independent person i go and do quite a lot of things by myself and i, I do a lot of things that would probably make other people anxious without epilepsy um right. shall we say yeah but for um, sure <laughs> but for the most part i am quite confident with it but it does I, I do remember that i have epilepsy all the time and mm. i have to make sure that i take my medication on time every day yeah. and that kind of thing yeah. and uh yesterday for example was the first time in god knows how long that i think i missed a a medication dose right. and I don't know how I managed it but I had an extra tablet in my packet when I went to take mm. the tablet in the evening right. so I obviously just like hit snooze in the morning or something like that and then that suddenly like click like kicks it off again in terms of the anxiety yeah. of what well, yeah. is that gonna is it's that like gonna do something yeah. is that yeah, why I'm like feeling that, yeah. a bit tired today is that why I'm of course you know, we so. do know that and um, from the kind of surveys we've done with people with epilepsy that the impact that epilepsy has on confidence or on stress and anxiety kind of it it affects people even if they've been seizure free for 20 years mm. yeah. that that yeah. kind of black cloud i guess that knowledge that um this is an extra thing you always have to think about um mm. has a has an impact so um yes obviously being seizure free is preferable to having seizures and i know there'll be people listening who are who are who long to be seizure free yeah. and uh, mm. obviously that is should always be everyone's goal but um this kind of myth in the public that with epilepsy you take tablets they control your seizures and then that's it you never have to think about it again mm. is just so not what i hear when i speak to people and it's not what clearly what you what your experience is yeah that's it it's just um you know i i find my condition very complicated and i'm probably the person that knows my personal epilepsy the best um so <laughs> if you think about how many people there are with how many different kinds of epilepsy yeah. um yeah it just it just kind of it makes perfect sense that people get anxious about so many different things even yeah. even without the seizures there yeah definitely so i mentioned that you have um, the seizure adventure podcast and i was just wondering where did the idea of that podcast come from and if you could tell us a little bit about what it is and what who the people you speak to what the what are the stories that the podcast tells mm. um so it, it kind of all leads back to the part that i can't drive so i was talking about the ripple effect um yeah. but because i can't drive i do walk an awful lot and I used to hike when I was a kid and stuff, so I'm quite used to hiking anyway, but walking is basically a mode of transport for me. Right. And so in 2017, I decided to go over to, to Europe and Spain in particular to just have a, a kind of like break and that kind of thing, explore a little bit more of Europe. And walking seemed like the most logical form of transport so right. I decided to walk 500 miles from <laughs> the east of Spain to the west of Spain. Do you not the sing Camino that song? Do you not sing that song? It's <laughs> <laughs> it almost exactly 500 miles just to uh, 
just to get it stuck in your head. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I decided that um, walking would be a good way to explore Spain. And I, I just wanted to do like a, a, a hike. I wanted to do something very physical. I um, used to hike a lot when I was young and I just had stopped doing it. I, I don't think to do with the epilepsy at all, just more with the fact that I you know, I did a, a degree that was very indoors based. I had friends yeah. that were very indoors based and that kind of thing. Um, so I went off, I hiked the Camino de Santiago, um, which, which is, is absolutely on a... my bucket list to do. So yeah. I'm so <laughs> excited that that's uh, where it all fill started. Me, fill me in, what is the Camino yeah. de Santiago? So the Camino de Santiago is, um, it's actually loads of different hikes. Right. But it used to be a pilgrimage route and you okay. would essentially start from like uh, your door was meant to be the official Camino. Essentially, you're starting right. from your door and you're walking to this town, Santiago de Compostela, right. which is where um, the remains of the the uh, St. James is buried. So it's right. this, this pilgrimage route, okay. uh, very, very kind of like old route. And there's loads of different paths that you can take to get there. Right. Um, so I am not really religious at all, um, but it has become quite a, a, a kind of like well-known hiking route, essentially. Yeah. So if you're typing in um, long hikes in Europe, which is essentially what I did, the Camino <laughs> de Santiago comes up there pretty right, high okay. on the list. And um, yeah, it just it just seemed like a really nice idea to go and um, do something that was very physical and doing something that was speaking to other people and that kind of thing um so I went and did this hike and I didn't think very much about it and then um a lot of people on the route were really interested in the fact that I have epilepsy and they were asking loads of questions about it and they had a lot of misconceptions about it about um whether it was safe for me to be out there hiking and this kind of thing and I found that really interesting and then when I came home when I started writing about um, the journey for a few blogs and stuff just to kind of get it in my head as to what I'd done because it's a pretty yeah. big thing yeah. yeah um for sure I had people contacting me and I had people with epilepsy contacting me who were either saying that they they thought they were the only one that was doing this kind of thing right. um or they mm. contacted me to say that they didn't think they could do that kind of thing um even people who who had hadn't had seizures for years like we say there's still still that um anxiety about doing adventurous things essentially yeah. um so yeah i started speaking to a few people that had done other type of adventurous stuff or who, who were into rock climbing or running really long distances and all of this kind of thing and i thought that they, they were all super interesting stories that needed to be told as well um so i i started a website initially so seizure adventure and it became a, a blog blog website essentially yeah. um and then i turned it into a podcast because as as you know if you're listening to this podcast it's just so nice to hear the voices behind the stories and actually get that from from the horse's mouth essentially yeah. Um, yeah. and yeah it's just been so great to be able to speak to people um not, not quite face to face because they're, they're quite often around the world but being able to speak to people directly about their own epilepsy, their diagnosis, and and how they go out and do lots of these different sports and these different kind of like adventures, um, whilst living with the condition. 
yeah. and um, there, there's so many different people that I get to speak to so um, I'm in my second season now and I've just like got a surfer on this season for the first time I had rock climbers yeah, is that Jared? Yeah, we, yeah, we, we yeah. spoke to Jared before. Is uh, is the social media guy for Patagonia, isn't he? And he's, he is well into indeed. surfing. Loves it. Yeah, and, and it looks amazing. All, everything that he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. He's yeah. um he's pretty pretty incredible. The the stuff that he's done and how yeah. he just kind of like talks about it and all this kind of stuff. Um. So yeah, having having the conversation with him, I finally pinned him down to <laughs> have the conversation this year. Um. And um, yeah, all, all kinds of people that have done uh, running. I've spoken to someone that's cycling around the world. That's the one that captured to... my imagination. Yeah. Like just the freedom of that. Just uh, just um, someone whose friend spoke to you is cycling around the world on her bike. And although obviously, as you say, at the moment she's had to change her plans somewhat, or had her plans changed for her. But um, yeah. the freedom yeah. of that just sounded so exciting. That's it. And again, um, we had the conversation that she she was cycling because she couldn't drive. And right. <laughs> that's that's why she started cycling was because of the epilepsy taking away that um, that freedom of having a car and that freedom of being able to explore and uh, go on long distance journeys that way. Um, she ended up doing things a, a little bit more of the di- difficult way, but maybe um, ended up being a bit bit better in ways yeah and he's yeah. spoke to lots of people who you know from from skating to wild swimming um, yes you know hikes etc yeah. um i was wondering like if there's one thing that your guests have done that you would love to do which one would it be <laughs> um oh, see really i difficult. i'd really like to get into surfing personally but I live in the middle of Yorkshire, and it's like no, no but the closest I can go is Bridlington. Like, what are you going to get there? Do you know? What I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's it. I'm I'm London yeah. way, so again, there's yeah. not many waves down here. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah. Well, I've always I mean, been I've always been into it. I've always been into extreme sports when I was younger. I was a skateboarder. Uh, can yeah. you tell, by the way? But uh, and, and BMX and that kind of thing. So yeah, surfing yeah. was always up there, but. You know, it's absolutely nowhere to go around here, but I'd love to yeah. go, you know, to go somewhere and learn for sure. It's a really difficult one that because there's there's loads of stuff that I'd like to try, and yeah. I would love to try surfing. Partly because it really scares me. Right. Um, I yeah. I have never been amazing with water, even when I was no. a little kid. I hate putting my head under and all of this kind yeah. of stuff. So the idea of surfing um in an ocean that is very strong and there's an awful lot of water yes. does scare me ever so slightly. Oh yeah, yes. I'd definitely start I'd definitely start with a low tide at, at first. Yeah. Uh but I do I, I do really want to you can't like do it in a paddling pool, can you, to practice? Like if you're gonna no. do it, you've got to do it. That's it. That's it definitely. Um so I'd like to that is definitely one of the ones I would really like to try yeah. um but in terms of something you know you know what there's one that is just like such a small thing but i really want to try and do it as soon as possible which is i want to see a bear in the wild right. i've wow. spoken to about three or four people now and they all have these bear stories of when they've seen one and i'm just like i want to see a bear in the wild um yes. so um i was in i went to colorado for about a week last summer I managed to to go over with a an organization that um kind of like paid for me to come out there essentially they're called um outdoor mindset and they are um, also very very kind of like 
outdoor based and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I spent my whole time looking out for a bear and a moose, and I was promised that I'd see one of them, and I didn't see you either. Didn't. Oh. And I was very upset. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, for a little for a little thing, I would like to see a bear. A bear. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually That's have really a, cool. uh, I have a stepsister who lives in Black Diamond in Canada. It's in Alberta, yeah. and it's like right at the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. So she literally gets bears and, and moose in her garden all the time. She gets, she's got a quad bike. You can just go quad biking throughout the foothills and stuff like that. It's incredible. So yeah, That's amazing. I'd love to do that too. I'd love to go out there and uh, stay over one day. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things <laughs> I really liked, um, one of the episodes that I thought was really interesting of, of your podcast, Fran, was when you look into the um, ILAE, which is the International League Against Epilepsy, um, which I always think sounds like some kind of group of syrup superheroes. Yes, superhero group. <laughs> 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 Definitely. Um, I, I wish it was. It would be really cool if they all wore masks and capes. Um, um, we're back to Disney Plus, aren't we? Uh, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, but when you look, you look at their table about recommended sport, because obviously, um, as you said, everyone's epilepsy is so different. So, for some people with epilepsy. Um, you know, surfing would just not be something that they were able to do safely, um, mm. and I thought that, that was just a really interesting thing to look at. Yeah, so um, I found this table actually, it came via um, somebody else I spoke to called um, Ian, and he was doing a, a master's degree that was looking into kind of doing sports safely with epilepsy and, and that kind of thing, and he managed to find this table via the, the international league against epilepsy um and it was um, i'm surprised it's not more more known essentially because it was a really good example of lots of different types of sports so you had things that were uh, very simple like hiking or football and that kind of stuff but it went into things like ballroom dancing and skydiving and yachting and all of these kind of sports that you can imagine um, and it didn't quite have everything, but it was certainly a, a wide range of sports, essentially. And um, it, it kind of t gave a bit of an idea as to how dangerous it would be to do that kind of sport, depending on what type of seizures you have and how long it's been since your last seizure. Um, so this was a, a really good thing to be able to look at, essentially, and then compare it to your own seizure history and compare it to the type of sports that you want to do and then be able to, to take it to your doctor and to take it to the, the people you're doing the sports with and kind of like say to them either this, is, this would be really dangerous for me to do, is there anything we can do to make it more safe um, or to kind of like be able to say actually it wouldn't be that dangerous for me to do it and I'm perfectly happy. Um, yeah. So, uh, for for example, I think one of the ones that was the most dangerous to do for um, both the person with the epilepsy and any spectators was um, like racing, like um, essentially like Formula One racing and that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Obviously, going to be very dangerous if somebody has a seizure and yeah, they're racing and there's people watching. Um, so it's it's the, those kind of examples that you can go. The, these are all of the potential risks involved and 
which ones can we manage and which ones can't yeah. be managed essentially yeah. um so yeah it was super interesting and I, I don't have the table in front of me so it's no. all I can say well, is to have a look for it and see see kind of where you yeah. think you might fit on the table essentially yeah um, we'll pop it in our show notes um one of the things that looking at it and then hearing you talk it through um then and uh, in the episode made me realize is that to the the amount that you just can't judge anyone else's decisions mm. based like you can't judge your life compared to other people's like everybody makes their own risk assessment based on their own circumstances about what they think is safe for them to do working obviously with their doctors and um with the people who might be organizing any activity and working out all of that but um that will be so individual for everybody so um Mm. just because it's safe for somebody to do something it it might not be safe for you and that's completely fine um and people shouldn't judge you because of that and also a reminder not to judge yourself because of that like Mm. there are things on that table like how often you're having seizures what type of seizures you're having that are out of your control so um be kind to yourself really and and try and just work out what what is the right thing for you and the safest thing for you yeah yeah definitely and I think that it's um it's really nice having a table like that where you can especially if you have someone that is trying to um stop you from doing something having a table like that is a really good tool to be able to to bring to either you know family members or people that are running an event and that kind of thing and to be able to say look this this is where I fall on the table um and if I am happy with the risk and it's not risking anyone else there's it's very difficult to say no to someone that is really wanting to do something and is understanding that they're risking themselves yeah um and that's where it's a a really there is a really difficult line and like you say it's always going to be based on the person's individual risk and the person's individual diagnosis um but with the adventure sports in particular um i quite often come across people that are actually super accepting of people having epilepsy and people having that extra kind of like risk because adventure sports are risky already (laughs) so you're kind of used to to doing that risk assessment and doing that risk management and um, people that go hiking or they go climbing or especially if they go climbing without ropes and all of this kind of thing they're they're putting themselves at risk and they they understand that and I think one of the things I always say to people with epilepsy that are wanting to go and do that kind of stuff is you have to decide what risk you're willing to take for yourself and mm. you never take a risk that is going to put somebody else in danger and that's that's where it kind of like you, you're always having to make your own decisions essentially um yeah but yeah it's it is it is tricky but it's opening up that conversation and having those kind of skills like like the table to just be able to have as much knowledge as possible to go forward with definitely um yeah you're right yeah you it's having those tools so you're not automatically just writing it off as something that is impossible for you um you're making those judgments and looking into it um i noticed on the about section of your website francesca that you spoke about the words brave and the words inspirational mm. and i wondered um uh kind of what you thought about those and whether why you think they hold so much power and why people use them 
um, and what they kind of mean as what they feel like to you as somebody kind of who's been given those labels as somebody with epilepsy and what that kind of means for the wider community of people with epilepsy or other disabilities mm. I think um, I'll start with inspirational because it's a little bit easier to explain that one from my point of view because um, there, there's this big thing I don't know if you've heard the phrase with inspiration porn where you have uh, particularly people that are very able-bodied um, looking at people that have conditions or who have um, physical disabilities or anything like that and are looking at them doing stuff which is quite incredible and using that as a a kind of like oh it's so inspiring look at these people they have so many difficulties and yet they are doing all of these amazing things um and kind of like putting people on a pedestal because they have a, a condition or a difficulty um and that to me it like it it has real difficulties behind it i get that there are it's not necessarily from a a bad perspective people are looking and appreciating that it's more difficult for some people to do things um but to hold people up as inspirational because they are having to do things differently because they have conditions or they have (laughs) um you know difficulties is um uh, there there are problems with that essentially um and and kind of like the bravery is a, a similar one it's it there's the saying of it's how 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 do you do it how do you do it and the answer is because you have to because if you have a condition and you want to do something you have to do that something with the condition so for me (laughs) for me going and doing a hike um that wasn't me being doing it to be inspirational that wasn't me being brave doing it it that was something that I wanted to do yeah yeah um and so it's it's a little bit difficult and we talked about imposter syndrome there there may be a little bit of that in terms of especially the inspiration side of not wanting to have that placed on you and and Mm. go I'm not I'm not your inspiration I'm here just living essentially um and it's um so they're they're slightly loaded words which you they're they're positive words in a way but because they're being put on people that aren't aren't kind of like necessarily wanting to be seen that way um they they can be very loaded and problematic essentially definitely Um, and I, I very much felt that with myself when people, particularly brave, particularly when people were saying, you're, you're very brave doing this. And I, was, I, I just felt like I, I, I wasn't. I was just doing it because I liked it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think they create barriers as well. Like, though, if, if you, you know, you said that when you were out doing the Camino and people were saying to you, you're so inspirational, you're so brave. And, and then to me, they all, it, it makes that barrier that you have to be those things in order to do that so oh yeah that's a really good point for the people with epilepsy or with anyone who's sitting at home who then thinks oh well you know I'm not very brave actually or Mm. I I don't feel like I could be inspirational so that's something that isn't accessible for me to to do so it kind of um one of the great things about your podcast I think is that it normalizes those things like there are these people with epilepsy they have epilepsy and also these are the things they like to do in their spare time or for their job or whatever and they're outdoor and they might be not be the things that you would automatically think of that they'd be doing but 
like it just shows that there that there isn't you don't have to be like this hugely amazing incredible inspiration to to do that thing yeah. to do that if you yeah, want exactly. to you can yeah, be a social media a guy for Patagonia who just enjoys surfing kind of thing. Like it is amazing, yeah. like what it does, but it's it's just completely normal. It's just a hobby kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Completely that's agree. it. Absolutely. So as you've said, Fran, that most um, well, a lot of your kind of thinking with your podcast, and then a lot of your spare time is spent doing outdoorsy type things and hiking and getting around. Um, and I wondered how you have found lockdown, Ben, with all of that. Um, How's it been? It's not been too bad, actually, because I I am a very outdoorsy person, but I do have the split personality of being <laughs> a very indoorsy person when I'm exactly, not outdoors. I'm exactly the same um, as you. I, abs- so. I absolutely love going for hikes around Windermere, around the lakes, around my area. i got a beautiful, basically, I live in the countryside almost, pretty much. But oh, I also love being now. inside. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, um, so yeah, I like, no, I, yeah, um, I love it out there. I love it in here. <laughs> the um the other kind of like part of my life when i'm when i'm not outside and, and being adventurous uh podcast is obviously a very indoorsy thing so i yeah. do an awful lot of that i um do writing which is a very indoorsy thing and i work in a library which is a very indoorsy thing so it's yeah. um it, i i kind of it, it was certainly a bit difficult when the weather is nicer um yeah. but i kind of just fell back on that side of my personality in terms of okay well this is a really good time to crack on with some writing to crack on with some reading that I don't necessarily do as much as I um as I want to so it's not been too bad and the uh the the area that I live in I I kind of already know the um three miles around me quite well because I've doing running and um training for the run that i did last year and stuff i i know the the kind of like three to five mile radius fairly well um but having said that i still managed to find some new places over yeah. the past few months so <laughs> it's yeah. uh, been a fair few times where i've just gone oh i'm gonna take a right here instead of yeah. a left that i usually take and just came across this field um or this park that is obviously a really now well-known park because there's people there and there's a yeah. sign saying what park it is and yet I've never come across it and it's yeah. about a kilometre down the road from me yeah, it's been so, kind of a great time um, to discover almost the, all, yeah. the, all the areas that you have been undiscovered locally to you and up until yeah, now yeah that's it definitely so um it's not been too bad um and it probably helps me a little bit in terms of I I don't have very much money to go and do something anyway at the moment right. so at least I have an excuse to be inside I'm not missing out I don't have that yeah. fear of missing out yeah. um, <laughs> I yeah. can kind of like make make the most of the indoor time and yeah. um, explore explore the area on a nice cheap low budget scale yeah. so um, yeah it's not been too bad oh I'm glad I'm glad to but, hear it um, I, I do have to say I'm now getting to that stage where you know lockdown is just lifting and we're looking forward a little bit where I'm going okay well can I now start planning something yeah yeah (laughs) and what can i plan and where can i do it and when am i allowed to do it and all of this kind of stuff so um, it's all very vague yeah 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 it's it i almost feel like this this last kind of couple of weeks has been a little bit more difficult because it's that oh well i can can i maybe do something in the future or do i have to hold off for a little bit longer yeah um but we shall see definitely definitely um 
yeah the kind of shifting sands thing of what where where are we going to be in in a month or two months we just don't know mm. um, yes yeah um i think we're all yeah. in it together though i think yeah. everyone's everyone's there right there yeah. in that uncertainty all, all at the same time yeah and like i say with like a, a fear of missing out is a real thing for me i just look at stuff when i i ever don't have the money or i'm working and just go oh look at all of those beautiful places in yorkshire oh, and elsewhere that, absolutely. <laughs> that have all you're the, so all right the nature. i'm, I'm with I'm, you right there i'm down london way and yeah <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't have as much but but I, then um, uh, i can uh, confirm that us people who are up up in yorkshire look at you in london and think obviously when things are open oh the west end and the theaters yeah, and that, all that's of that you know a nice balance. I think I think Leeds exactly. is like the best balance of everything though, because you're basically just outside the Dales and all the countryside, but also you've got a big city with everything going on as well. It's like the perfect city mm. pretty much. Not to big up Leeds too much, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> We're being sponsored by Disney Plus and uh, welcome to Yorkshire this <laughs> and, uh, and Leeds City Council. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can confirm that Leeds is good for that, though. That's yeah. why I like Leeds. <laughs> Very true. Um, so I think we're, we're pretty much wrap, at the wrapping up stage, right, Hatim? We always yeah. have one, one question that we ask every single guest. So, Fran, mm. here's the question. Question time. <laughs> if you could tell someone newly diagnosed with epilepsy just one thing, what would it be? I'll give you some time to think. <laughs> I always say to take it one step at a time. Right. I um, have been, uh, I'm quite lucky in that that's kind of how I live anyway. Um, it does cause issues at times when you're not looking far ahead, but with my diagnosis, it definitely helped to take things one step at a time. And sometimes those are going to be teeny tiny steps. They're going to be making sure you take your medication in the morning, like mm. I didn't yesterday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, making sure that you are writing down if a seizure happens, making sure that you are. Um, figuring out if you need to get a lift to work and that kind of thing so taking things one step at a time and um, things are going to be different with an epilepsy diagnosis an epilepsy diagnosis at the moment is for life mm. so you are you are someone with epilepsy now which is not the best thing to be um, but there is a lot of help out there so go and look for it find out as much as you can about your condition and um, yeah just little steps little steps brilliant advice i think i think every time i ask we ask this question it's something different and it's always excellent advice so cheers for that fran um so i think that about does it it. um fran tell all our listeners where we where they can find your podcast and you on social media so um, if you're listening to this, the best thing to do is just search for uh, Seize Your Adventure, and that's Y-O-U-R, Adventure. Yep. Um, it should come up fairly quickly. And yep. on, every, on every podcast platform? Spotify, uh, iTunes? Should be, yeah, it yep. should be on all of them now. I think I might have missed one in America that I can't get onto because all right. I need an okay, American okay. address to do After it. After this but, call, uh, <laughs> you're going to have to give us that tip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think I, I should be on everything um, except for YouTube because right, that really. doesn't count as a podcast in my mind. But Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you should be able to find me fairly and, easily. And the same on social um, media. And the same on social yeah. media. It is at syadventurers on all of the platforms on social media um, probably Instagram's the one I'm most active on so right. check that one out for sure brilliant 
great thank you so much for joining us it's been absolutely fantastic to chat with you um and just really really nice to to see you and to have a chat and hear your story yeah well thank you very much for having me it's um yeah lovely lovely to be able to just talk and get things out in the open be on the other side the other be side on the of the other interview side. yes yeah <laughs> it's more nerve-wracking i'm telling you <laughs> you, can, you can powder your forehead after this though yeah <laughs> you've done it breathe a sigh of relief appreciate it fan thank you Ace. yeah thank you thank you so cool. much Thank you once again to Fran. Thank you so much for joining us, giving us uh, your kind of unique perspective on epilepsy and everything you know. We we know people with epilepsy can do, and um, thank you for bringing shedding a light on it in such a unique way for your podcast. And once again, if you want to listen to that podcast, it's called "Seize Your Adventure." Um, the word "seize," the word "your." Yeah, I'd really encourage you to go and check that out. It's um, a really great lesson talking to some really um, amazing people. Um, and just one last little shout out for this episode from me and that is to say that we are still looking for your epilepsy heroes for those people who've made a big difference to your life um, during lockdown or perhaps before um, at some point over the last 12 months um, we are looking for them to give an award to so if you have someone who you want to see be a bit celebrated uh you want to say a big well done then um please do head to epilepsy.org.uk forward slash awards to find out more absolutely and as always uh we ask we'd love it if you give us a review for this four stars or above as always um and make sure you follow or subscribe on all your favorite podcast platforms and you know you can always reach us on social media at epilepsy action on pretty much everything and i think we'll be back in again another two weeks as usual which is the 27th of july where where has july gone by the time oh, no. this next podcast comes out and we don't know who our guest is at this point we have we have a couple in mind uh, so we'll, we'll see what's what so it's just gonna be a mystery guest surprise yeah of course <laughs> so i'm looking forward to that one um, and so we'll see you then yeah see you then <laughs>